Joan Crawford was one of classic Hollywood's greatest actresses. Starting off her career at silent pictures, she transformed her image each decade to connect with changing audiences' attitudes and tastes, even complimented by the likes of the great Gatsby author F. Scott Fitzgerald for her Charleston. Famous for films such as her Oscar-winning role in Mildred Pierce, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane with Betty Davis, and the infamous movie, which was loosely based on the book by her adopted daughter, Christina. Although the book has been disputed by Joan's friends, staff, and even her two other twin daughters, Sydney and Kathy. She was just wonderful. She was, she was very kind, though she was strict, you know, but she was, you know, all parents are in, to a certain degree, but that's how we teach our children. And she was just a very loving, caring person. Joan Crawford's own childhood is often skipped over, with people too focused on the semi-fictitious and exaggerated character the industry has created since her death. Her childhood was not easy. By the time she was a teenager, she'd known three different fathers, moved between multiple places, had been forced to work during school, and dealt with any emotional abuse. This is the childhood of Joan Crawford. Miss Crawford, how much did your rather fraught childhood re-emerge in your playing of emotionally disturbed women? Well, I think I still use certain qualities of it and certain phases of it. It's uh, very helpful to me. Joan Crawford, born Lucille Faye Lesseur, was born on March 23rd in either 1905 or 1906, as disputed by some historians. Though the concluding chapter of Crawford has established a 1906 birth year through their research. She was born in San Antonio, Texas to construction worker Thomas Sasser and Annabelle Johnson. The couple had three children together, Daisy, born in 1901, who died before Joan was born, and Hal, her older brother, born in 1903. When Joan was only 10 months old, her parents divorced and her father was never to be seen again by Joan and her siblings for the remainder of their childhood. Joan would not meet her father again until one day on the set of Chained in 1934. Her father Thomas tried awkwardly to establish some sort of relationship after her newfound fame, but like before, he disappeared from her life. He eventually passed away four years later at age 70 in Texas. Living alone with her two children and near her ex-husband's family around 1906, Annabelle decided to move her and the children to Lawton, Oklahoma. Four years later, in 1909, Joan's mother meets who eventually become Joan's stepfather, Henry Casa, a small-time theater operator and own an opera house. Many biographers say the couple did not actually love each other, but rather Annabelle was only looking for a partner to support her and her family or some sort of monetary gain. Regardless, being a single mother of two in 1909 would prove difficult. Joan was only three or four at the time and thought for most of her childhood that Henry Casson was her real father. During this time is when Joan, who had been born Lucille de Sur, started going by the name Billy Casson. One of Joan's own first accounts of her growing interest in performing was in 1912 when she and her older brother Hal put on a show at the local barn for the neighbors. The duo and his friends performed a trapeze act while Joan herself performed a 10-minute show from the ballet Giselle and danced to the tune Wait Till the Sun Shines, Nellie. 
The performance was a hit with the local community, and they repeated the show several times. Later that same year in the summer, a five-year-old Joan was playing with her friends at her home and jumped off her front porch, landing on a broken milk bottle. Don Blanding, a future poet, carried her to the house and phoned a doctor. She eventually had to have three operations on her foot and was unable to attend elementary school classes for a year and a half. School was hard for Joan, nevertheless. She did not fit in with the other kids. She was poor and often mocked for the way she dressed, even custom making her own clothes to try and fit in. As her mother Annabelle and stepfather Henry grew apart, Joan's mother took her frustration out on Joan, favoring her older brother Hal. This is when Joan and her stepfather Henry Casson grew close together by his acts of kindness and interest in the performing arts. Around 1915, to her surprise, a young Joan discovered a fortunate gold in the cellar of their home that their stepfather had hidden. Shortly after, he was questioned by the police about some missing bail money. Though to this day, it is a mystery whatever did happen to the gold Joan discovered. In December of 1916, Joan and her brother Hal were sent by train to San Angelo, Texas to visit their mother's parents, Sylvester and Mary Johnson, for Christmas. During this trip, her older brother, while in an argument with Joan, tells her Henry Casson is not their real father and shows her a picture of Thomas Lesseur. She is crushed by the news as any young child would be. Following the holidays, a trial against Joan's stepfather Henry for embezzlement began. Two days later, according to the Lawton Constitution, the Casson case is declared a mistrial, with the jury voting 7-5 to five for his acquittal. Not shortly after, the family leaves Lawton for Kansas City, most likely due to the pressure of the missing money. Around 1917, the Casson family arrived at the Kansas City Union Station and checked into the new Midland Hotel, located at 407 East 9th Street, before becoming long-term renters as Annabelle and Henry eventually got a job managing the hotel. After shortly attending a local public elementary school, Joan's stepfather enrolled her at St. Agnes Academy, a Catholic girls' school where Joan stayed for grades 4 through 6, living there and only returning home for the weekends. Soon after her mother and stepfather split, most likely due to the growing tension around the mystery money, due to his departure, Joan's mother landed a new job at the infamous laundromat at 4103 East 9th Street at the advice of her new partner, a delivery man for the same laundromat. In May 1917, Joan performed a dance recital at the Academy and her mother attended. This is where she was introduced and first met her mother's new partner, Harry Hoff. Annabelle eventually moved into the laundromat with Joan's brother, Hal, and her new partner. Without Henry Casson around, Joan's mother was unable to pay for tuition, so she arranged with the Academy for Joan to work at the school to keep her place there. Due to the cost and at the advice of her new stepfather, Joan is eventually enrolled into Rockingham Academy, a school for difficult children. Life during these three years at Rockingham was hard, with life at home, even without her ex-stepfather Henry Casson around, was still not easy. Her mother favored her brother Hal and resented Joan deeply for the dissolvement of her previous marriage. Her new stepfather Harry was no better, either hitting on her sexually or ridiculing her relentlessly. In the summer of 1919, while off from school, Joan accidentally ran into her ex-stepfather Henry Casson while in downtown Kansas City, and they eventually ended up having ice cream together. This was the last time Joan ever saw Henry, and he would eventually pass away six years later in 1925 without anyone telling Joan. 
In 1921, Annabelle and her new husband Harry divorced. Although the legitimacy of the marriage was always questioned by Joan, Annabelle then moved herself and Hal to an apartment at the corner Armour Boulevard. A few days before Christmas, a 16-year-old Joan and her friend go to see a play at the Northeast High School featuring Ray Sterling, a boy whom she had met at a dance earlier that year. He is her son that many credit as the driving force for encouraging Joan to try and make it big at MGM. By the spring of 1922, Crawford had dropped her to Rockingham Academy and set her heart on being in the entertainment industry. She worked part-time at Klein's department store selling notions. Things like buttons, pins, snaps, collar stays, etc. While working at the department store, she saw an ad placed by Stevens College. Tired of her career going nowhere at the department store, she asked the headmistress of Rockingham for an official high school diploma so she could apply. Her friend, Ray Sterling, encouraged her to apply as well, and later she received notice that she had been accepted into the college. It is interesting to note that on the application, Joan gives her birth year as 1906. In September of 1922, Ray Sterling drove Joan to Union Station, where she embarked for Stevens College in Columbia, Missouri. There she enrolled for courses in English composition, typewriting, preventative medicine, shorthand, bookkeeping, psychology, foods, religious fundamentals, and rhythm. With her poor education background, though, Joan did not feel ready for college. She has often remarked that not having a better education is one of her biggest downfalls. You see, pictures have given me all the education I ever had since I never went beyond the fifth grade. Uh, no formal education whatsoever. And I, I used to have to read scripts and then look up the words in the dictionary how to pronounce them and what they meant before I could learn the lines. And, and that's good, too. And before Christmas break, Joan decided to see the college president, James Wood. They talked, and he escorted her to the train station while continuing to try and convince her to stay at the college. Once home, her friend Ray Sterling and her mother both agreed that Joan should stay in the college. Joan obligated and briefly returned, but ultimately quitting before the spring semester began. In the spring of 1923, Ray accompanied Joan to a dance at the Ivanhoe Masonic Temple, where the sister duo act Lucille and Nell Cook were performing. She had previously met the sisters one night after a party, when Joan's stepfather, Harry, had locked her out of the house. The sisters had found Joan crying in the back of a hotel restroom and offered her a place to stay at their apartment that night. So at the show, Joan met a booking agent who asked her for an audition that he was packing for Kevin Emmerine. She got the job soon after and set off for Springfield, Missouri. Unfortunately, not long after that, the show closed with only a couple of performances. Joan returned to Kansas City again, but not with her mother, but rather a friend she had met in college named Eddie Smith. Once home, she remembered that while in Springfield, Catherine offered a general invitation to chorus girls to come to Chicago after the show had ended. Joan set out for Chicago. Once she arrived, Catherine had happened to be out of town. With her quick thinking, she remembered a name that Catherine had mentioned only once, Ernie Young, and set out for his office. She found Ernie's office and pleaded for a job, and she got it. In the next few months, 
Young sent her out to perform in bars in Chicago and Oklahoma City. Then to Detroit, the then 18-year-old Joan was making some leeway on her career, but not nearly enough to the magnitude she wanted. At the end of April of 1924, Broadway impressionist J.J. saw her performance at the Terrace in Detroit and offered her a chorus job at his upcoming New York City show, Innocent Ives. By the time his show opened in May, Joan had already started using her birth name again, Lucia Lasur. Innocent Eyes is a hit, with J.J. giving Joan another part in his show called The Passing Show of 1924 instead of sending her off on the road version of Innocent Eyes. Later in 1924, a man named Nielis Grundlin and singer Harry Richmond opened a club called Club Richmond. It became an upper-class sensation. They hired Joan as a featured Charleston dancer for $50 a week, eventually introducing her to MGM's Marcus and insisting he set up a screen test for Joan. MGM executives were not originally impressed by her first screen test, and upon learning this, Nielis personally called MGM producer Harry Brapp and asked him to sign her. Joan, upset with the reaction to her screen test, returned home to Kansas City for the holidays on December 22nd. Three days later, on Christmas Day of 1924, Joan received this telegram on behalf of MGM. You are put under a five-year contract starting at $75 a week. Leave immediately for Culver City, California. Contact MGM Kansas City office for travel expenses. The young Joan, named Lucille Lasur, finally got her big break. But little did she know this was only the start of her tremendous long career. Do you find, for instance, that some of the hardship that you went through as a child um, strikes chords, brings memories to you when you're actually formulating a characterization apart? What makes you think there aren't hardships when you're grown up?